We are going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, sometimes called the parable of the talents. And I've described this as the worthy and the worthless. After winning the Super Bowl in 2005, the New England Patriots owner, Robert Kraft, along with a few other American businessmen, went to Russia to meet with President Vladimir Putin. The purpose of that meeting was to kind of promote commerce between the United States and Russia. The group met with Putin in St. Petersburg at a press conference, and one person had suggested to uh, Kraft that he show uh, President Putin his Super Bowl ring. So he took it off, that $25,000 Super Bowl ring, today valued at over $65,000. He took it off and he handed it to Mr. Putin, and Putin tried it on, and, he, and it was a pretty good-sized ring, and he said, I could kill somebody with this ring. And then... Uh, Mr. Kraft reached out his hand for a return of the ring, and Mr. Putin put it in his coat pocket. Just then, the KGB, three of them, came up and surrounded Mr. Putin, and they all left. What just happened? Well, the immediate news that came out was that Mr. Putin had stolen the ring. Um, the ring clearly belonged to Robert Kraft. When Robert Kraft got back into the United States, the State Department contacted him and said, you know, it would really be better for the relationship between the United States and Russia if you would just maybe present that to him as a gift. That was very disappointing to Robert Kraft, but he agreed. To make that a present. Robert Kraft was the owner of the ring, but Vladimir Putin took charge of it. He, he gave it to Putin for just a few seconds, and Putin took hold of it just like it was his own. Sometimes our stewardship is like that. We get entrusted with things and life and possessions and families, and we just think they are our own. Today, our passage reminds us of our stewardship before God. And we'll begin with the parable uh, We'll start with this story, and uh, let's just ask that question. I think most people, a lot of people know the answer here, but what is a parable? Well, I, the Sunday school definition is hard to beat. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's a hard one to beat. It's a story, in this case, from the first century in Jesus's culture, everyday kinds of experiences, and the story is communicating some abstract reality some spiritual truth. 
the purpose Jesus gives is, is in verse 14. In verse 14, uh, Jesus says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servant and entrusted his wealth to them. Called his servants. The light blinded me just for a minute. Called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now the context is, um, what will it be like a man going, what will be like a man going on a journey? Jesus says, it will be like a man going on a journey. Now we have to go back to chapter 25 and verse 1 for the context, and the context is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. So the earthly story is about the man going on the journey, and the heavenly meaning relates to the truth of the kingdom of heaven. It's about kingdom values and kingdom living. living. And we aren't there yet. And so how do we live until then? The responsibility given is in verses 14 and 15. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, this responsibility given is a stewardship given. Now, we don't use that word in our culture very much, but a steward is someone who is given something and they have the responsibility to take care of it. It doesn't belong to them, but their job is to take care of it protect it, manage, manage it, enhance it, enable it to thrive. And so these servants are given this responsibility to take care of their master's resources. Now, this is a wealthy man, and he has planned to go on a journey. Now, this is going to involve some risk on his part. He will need some incredible trust to impart his wealth to someone while he is gone. So he calls them together and gave them responsibility. Now we come to verse 15, and he said, To one, one of the servants, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, and each according to his ability. Now, I actually... Uh, wrote my notes before I actually, I always work from an old NIV, which maybe I shouldn't do that all the time, but, and then when I come to a new NIV, when I'm going to preach on Sunday morning, it's a different translation. Sometimes I just don't appreciate the newer NIV translation, and here's why. So in verse 15, it says, take five bags of gold. Um, to the one he gave five bags of gold. And to the old NIV, it says, to the one, he gave five talents. Now, I prefer that one myself, and here's why. Because the word for talent is a measurement of money. And in this case, in verse 15, the word for talent in the original language is a silver talent, not gold. So I'm a little disappointed. I'm not sure how gold got into the translation. I'm sure the translators had a reason for it. But I like the concept of talent. It's a 
unit of measurement here. And that really helps me understand the story better. So he gave different responsibilities to his different servants. Um, so, by the way, when you, when you see the word talent, again, it's a measurement of money, in this case, silver. It is not about abilities. We use that term in our language to talk about abilities. That is not what he is talking about here. So the man leaves and goes on a journey. He left, and he left them in charge. Now, the master, the estate owner here, is pretty wealthy. To the one, he gives uh, five talents. Now, a talent was viewed as about 20 years' wages. There's a lot of ways. So I'm going to come up with a measurement for us to help us see value here. It, it is not absolute. There are lots of ways to measure this, but, but I'm just going to tell you how I'm, I'm doing it today. 20 years of wages for a laborer. Now, we don't know how much he's going to make, but there was kind of a consistent wage in those days. So one talent equals 20 years of wages. Now let's take one year of wages at $15 an hour. That would be $31,200 a year, one year's wages, times 20 years, okay? That now makes $624,000. I know you wish you could see it on a slide because you're so tuned into slides. But how many talents does this guy get? Well, he gets five. So now we've got to multiply that times five, uh, 624,000 times five, and now we have $3,120,000. This is a wealthy individual. And so the, other, the next servant, he gets two talents. That's one talent equals 20 years. That's going to be $624,000 at $15 an hour. He's going to get two talents. So now we end up with $1,248,000. The last servant gets one talent. He gets 20 years of wages at $624,000. And the master makes this choice each according to his ability, the servant's ability. We see the results in verses 16 through 18. The man who had received five talents of gold or silver... Five bags went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. Now, when they talk about bags of gold, I'm okay with that because it's about value. It's about money, and that's what this parable is about. Um, now, these guys did pretty well. These are the kind of guys you might want to hire for your own financial planner. Each one got 100% return. They doubled their master's resources. Verse 18, But the man who received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. He just wanted to be safe. He really did nothing once he got it buried. And by the way, this was a practice in the ancient world for security um, banks were a little more risky. They didn't really have banks like we do. They were kind of risky, but at least interest could be earned. And it wouldn't be like your savings account. It, it would be 
several percent, um, but it would be something. And so um, the results, as we, we come to the results, five talents valued at 3,120 talents doubled is 6,240,000. I know you wish you had that on the screen. And then the two talents plus two equals four equals $2,496,000. And then we have the one talent man who earned zero and ended up with one hidden talent. So zero return. The accountability comes in verses 19 through 30. And this is um, what happens with stewardship. A stewardship responsibility is given, and then there's always an accountability with the owner or master. This is an evaluation. This is an accounting. The time of this accountability is in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now, this is our earthly story, and it happens after a long time. By the way, where have we heard that before? Well, just a little earlier in the chapter, Jesus gave this clue in verse 5 that the bridegroom was a long time in coming. And Jesus is giving us a clue about a possible delay between his first coming and his second coming. And he's giving instructions on how we should live. The first servant in verses 20 and 21 in his accounting, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And it almost seems like he has a, a bit of, uh, he feels good about this. He, he, he feels some joy to bring this to his master, to, to, to show the accomplishments. Now, the servant had followed his master's instructions. He'd been faithful. He is ready for the master's return. He has been productive with the master's resources. Verse 21, his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And so when he comes before his master, his master is pleased. Um, his servant has been devoted to the master's business. He has been wise. He's been skillful. He has been faithful. He's, he's followed through on this stewardship responsibility. In the future, there's going to be a major promotion. And he's given this invitation to experience joy, to be in the, in the presence of his master at a celebration. Second service, second servant, same thing, verses 22 and 23. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I, I have gained two more. And so here's another good report. The servant followed the instructions of, the, of, the, of his boss, of his owner. Now, the servant may not have had the same skill as, as the first servant, 
but he's going to get the very same commendation. He was faithful, he was productive, and he was ready when his master returned. Verse 23, his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. This is just a small test. I've given you a few things. I wanted to see how you would handle this. I will put you in charge of many things. You have passed the test. Come and share your master's happiness. He passes with flying colors, future promotion, future joy in the presence of the master, a future experience. It's going to be real. Third servant, verses 24 through 30. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. There's a sense here that this, this guy doesn't really care for his master. And when you read what he has to say, it sounds like maybe he doesn't really know him. Is this the same master as the other guys have? I knew that you were a hard man. How did he know that? Harvesting where you have not sown. He's critical of his master. He sees the master as harsh and unfair. And so, verse 25, he says, I was afraid and I went out. And I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Because of his view of his master, what he thought about his master, he didn't think doing business for his master was worthwhile. The master had offered him much, but he did nothing with it. In fact, he took what the master had given him and he hid it. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Well, then you should have put money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So the master is quite disappointed. He sees his servant as wicked and lazy. Verse 26, his master replied. Uh, verse 28, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has, for whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. This servant will no longer be in employment with his master. His stewardship is taken away and is given now to the first uh, servant. Then we come to verse 30. And as sometimes in Jesus' stories and his parables, there's just a sort of a regular parable and then it takes a turn that brings in a pretty clear spiritual reality. And that's in verse 30. 
And then he says, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. From what we know already about this chapter, this servant is destined to hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the same phrase that Jesus used, actually not in 25, but in 24, chapter 24, verse 51. Now let's talk about the interpretation. Now, some of you have heard this many times, and as I even went through that first part of the story, you were interpreting in your head. So who's the man going on, the, on a journey? Well, the man preparing to go on his journey is Jesus preparing to leave this earth and return back to his Father in heaven. And Jesus is telling this parable, and the followers that will come later, that he is going to be leaving, and this has always been part of the plan. But he is going to return, and that's always been part of the plan. Who are the servants? Well, these are people who know Christ and also people who just profess to know Christ. Um, his servants are his disciples, both then and now. And we could just say, today we just might say churchgoers. And we have a whole lot of people who are not in the church who think they're in Jesus' church. Um, not just the bridge, I'm talking about all over the world. We are by application Jesus' servants who have been trusted with the master's resources. So what are the talents or the gold bags? And very clearly it's about money. And so you can't read this and leave out your money. You just can't do that. It's clearly a stewardship about resources. And when you think about it, when Jesus teaches a parable about money like this, remember he also said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus is about our hearts. And he knows they're really closely tied with what we do with money. But it, our stewardship includes more than our money. It includes our stuff. It includes all that's been given to us, and that's really quite a bit. It, it, it includes all of our material things, but it includes what else have we been entrusted with? We've been entrusted with physical health. We've been entrusted with our families. We've been entrusted with our, our job. We've been entrusted with a church family. We've been entrusted with people we work with. There are many things that we have been entrusted with that, that God has put on our plates. Um, so next question is, what kind of ventures should the master's resources be invested? Well, what kind of business does a master have? Well, it's a kingdom business. It's always been a kingdom business. It's about advancing his kingdom. One life at a time. It's about influence. 
Um, and it's about how he expands his kingdom through his servants. And it's about how we handle what's been given to us. He has given us a mission. He's given us instructions on how to live until Jesus returns. And our lives are to have kingdom purposes in whatever job or career, wherever you find yourself, whether you're a student, your purpose first is to the kingdom, is to Jesus. And he, he uses us in all walks of lives. Our lives are to be about putting his kingdom first and his righteousness. And maybe to our surprise, our real happiness will come in serving our master, not in pursuing happiness for ourselves, not in pursuing the American dream. We we look at our culture and we see what we think would make us happy and go ahead and pursue it, but I don't think you're going to find it. We have been entrusted with a purpose. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20 reminds us of this. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18. Here we go. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. By the way, all that we have is through God. And we have a ministry now of reconciliation. Because God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's the gospel. Next uh, slide. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have that entrusted to us, this message of reconciliation reconciliation, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about God sending his son to solve our problem. The issue we have with sin and the penalty that goes with it, and Jesus paid for all of it, and that's the message of reconciliation. And now we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are his stewards and then Paul says, we implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. So, Jesus wants to live his life through us. That's, that's the great exchange. His life for our life, and he wants to live through us. And he wants us to be lights of, of the world in a world of darkness. What are the outcomes? What are the outcomes? Well, first, for worthy servants. One day, God will say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. You have been faithful in a few things while you were on earth. You were tested. You were refined. Your life demonstrated the fruit that comes with living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will say, in my kingdom, 
you will have much more. Come and share my joy. Come and share my happiness in this future kingdom. Enter my, my kingdom and experience the eternal joy with me. But for the worthless servants, these are, these are not genuine Christ followers. They never made the connection. Maybe they made some professions. Maybe they did some religious stuff. Maybe they went to church. But they never got spiritually connected with God. They never were born of God, born again with a spiritual nature that comes through believing in Jesus and what he has done. They did not know the master. Remember that servant who thought he was hard? It was about how they viewed their master. This is such a, this is a really big application here for everybody. It's how you view God determines your behavior. The more you know God and are in a deep relationship, it has a huge impact on being more Christ-like. And when we just have bits and pieces, we sometimes connect well and sometimes we're way disconnected and, and we operate in our own strength, in our, in our flesh. Verses uh, Matthew 25 and 28 through 30, we, we see the worthless servants. Remember, he says, take, take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has 10. Whoever has will give him more than will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they will not, will be taken away. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's going to lose everything. Everything in this life, whatever he or she has in this life, and will end up in eternal hell. The servant's going to face eternal judgment before a holy God. Now, we've been working on this series for a while, and the message keeps coming back over and over about Jesus returning. We need to be ready, and there's going to be a reckoning. And there's going to be joy, and there's going to be hell to pay. That's what Jesus is teaching. That should be real to us. That's why we are here, because it's so important that we take the message we have to our world. Because God so loves people. And when he's working through us, so do we. John chapter 3, verses 17 through 18 reminds us of why Jesus came back to earth. In John 3, 17, for God, not, one of the important things is, this is right after John 3, 16. I bet you over 90% of the people could quote John 3, 16, or at least try. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. There's there's a huge misunderstanding about that one because they think God is all about condemning. 
He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, through Jesus. Whoever believes in him, Jesus is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus came to bring salvation by offering his very own life. He, he was our substitute. We deserve that death. He took our death. He gave us life. And when I put my trust in him, I'm saved from my own sin penalty. If I do not put my trust in him, I stand condemned. And the world around us doesn't know Jesus. And they stand condemned already. And that's why you and I are still here in 2022. That's why we are here. That's never changed. We still have the same mission to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. And we too need to be fully devoted followers of Christ. For the application, first of all, Jesus, our Lord and Master, has entrusted us with resources to do kingdom business until he returns. We've kind of been saying that as, as we've developed this today. Uh, everything that I call my own came from him. This is great for kids. You know, it includes their toys, includes whatever they have in their room, if they have a tricycle or a bike, it includes everything. I am personally responsible to Jesus for all that he's given me. Secondly, Jesus, our Lord and Master, will evaluate the fruit we bear for his kingdom. So what will be the outcomes of our lives? What kind of growth will Jesus see in the gifts that he has entrusted us with? Will his kingdom have a greater influence because of us? That will be a great question. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, talking to his disciples. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The servant who took the one talent and came back with nothing, was never connected to Jesus, never. One day we're going to be held accountable for our spiritual lives. We have been entrusted with the Holy Spirit who is in us. We have been entrusted with a new birth, a citizenship that's in heaven. We have been entrusted with spiritual gifts, abilities that God has given for us to serve his church. We have the message of hope. We have the entire word of God, and we are responsible for this. What kind of fruit will our lives bring forth? Are there going to be people that have come to faith through us? Will there be orphans uh, cared for and, and, and widows cared for? because of us. Um, bearing fruit includes how do we handle our 
financial resources? Do, do we invest resources in kingdom things like his church, like missions? There's a lot of good Christian things to invest in. And God should be directing each of us in how he wants us to do those. In John 15, 8, Jesus said, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. All of this is to the Father's glory, that we should bear fruit, that we should bear more fruit, if you follow John 15, and we should bear much fruit. Life produces more life, produces more growth, more impact for Jesus' kingdom. Next, we see that Jesus ascended into heaven and left his servants in charge of his mission. And after a long time, he will return as he promised. Je Jesus is going to return even if it's a long time. And sometimes we just start to doubt, is he really going to come back? I mean, sometimes this gets exciting and then sometimes oh, it's, things are getting worse. Is he ever going to come back? And we, we begin to lose sight of that. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. And Peter writes this. He says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You look back through history and people, well, I think he's coming. No, he didn't. I think he's coming now. No, he didn't. I think he's coming. No, he hasn't. And people begin to either lose hope, but he is coming. He said it may be a long time. There may be a real delay, but he still asks us to be faithful and productive and ready Next, Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus, this is number four, Jesus will return and settle everyone's accounts. Remember, just like he promised, he's going to, everyone is going to stand before Jesus one day. Every human, including Adam and Eve, will stand before Jesus. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This will be eternal hell. And this is where history is leading. The good news is there are two more chapters after this. And it's about heaven, the eternal kingdom. For the worthy servant, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This will be our accounting. Now, we are only going to be worthy because of what Jesus has done for us. Make that very clear. It's not about us um, doing good works to make ourselves acceptable to God. Our worth will come from what he has done for us and what he has given us. But he does care what we do with what is given to us. And there will be an accounting for that. 
And I think sometimes Christians have a hard time with that. Well, if I'm going to go to heaven, what difference does it make if there are rewards in heaven? That doesn't seem fair that some people get more rewards than I do, you know. doesn't seem fair. There is going to be a recognition in heaven about how you and I have lived, how we have handled what has been entrusted to us. Is Jesus going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? You know, here there are only two options. Well done, and then weeping and gnashing of teeth. Two options here. But this passage doesn't say that you could get to heaven and, he, and you could be a believer and he's not going to say, well done. I don't know how Jesus is going to handle that. If we haven't lived well. You know, Jesus is the owner of everything we have. And sometimes, sadly, we're just like Vladimir Putin who takes something and then we think it belongs to us. Jesus wants us to use our lives and everything we have for kingdom purposes. Let's stand together. Father, when we think about stewardship, when we think about this story, this parable of talents, we think about what you've entrusted to us, it's, it can be overwhelming to think about the responsibility we have but you've just called us to be faithful and you're not comparing us with each other. You just want us to be faithful to what you've given us. You've, you've given us all different portions, different responsibilities, whether it's a job, a career, whether it's our families, whether it's money, whether it's spiritual gifts, Father, we ask uh, for your wisdom. We humbly come before you. Help us to make an assessment about what you've given us. May you remind us about what you've given us. May we be faithful. May we serve you because we love you. May you use us to have influence in our world for the sake of the kingdom. May your kingdom grow. May your church expand through us because you are faithful, because you are generous, because you are loving and kind. May we be found faithful for Jesus' sake. Amen.